We're in John chapter 4, Beyond the Cracks. And before we get into the Word, let's just pray. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your written Word. Thank You that You're present by Your Holy Spirit to teach us. Jesus, we ask that You would open our hearts and minds to understand your truth. Your word is living and active. And so may we hear your word, not my word, your word. And may we know how to apply it to our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a story. Some years ago, Judy and I were invited to a New Year's party. Uh, One of our friends, he'd invited his neighbors over and invited us to come along. So next to us, Uh, A couple was seated, and we engaged them in conversation, and the wife in particular exuded a lot of enthusiasm. She was so happy to be celebrating the new year, so I asked her, "Why, why are you so happy? And she said, well, I I." became a Buddhist. I almost became a Catholic nun, but now I've discovered the way of Buddhism, and I am just so happy. So I listened to her talk about Buddhism for about half an hour, and then I gently asked her, so tell me, what's it like to live in a world where God does not exist? She said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, the Dalai Lama was just here in our city, and he was talking about Buddhism, and he said that within Buddhism, uh, there just is no personal God as we have come to know him through the Christian faith, through Jesus. It just doesn't exist. She said, well, he didn't mean to say that. I said, well, I actually think he did because he's simply representing the religious path that he is a part of. And in Buddhism, God does not exist. I asked her, do you still pray to God? She said, yeah, I do. So she was mixing, mixing what she uh, knew from Roman Catholicism, mixing in some Buddhism and some self-help philosophy, and trying to create her own spiritual path, and certainly trying to just portray this image of bliss, of happiness. My wife continued to talk to her, and after a number of minutes, discovered that the man sitting beside her actually wasn't her husband. In fact, she wasn't sure that they would stay together because it The chemistry just wasn't working. And why would she stay with someone that she wasn't sure would work out? See, this just big smiling face, I'm so happy to be here, New Year's. And then after a few minutes of conversation, you discover that she's actually really broken. We live in this funny world of created images, and we try to portray happiness, and we sure hope that no one will discover the cracks in our images, that no one will be able to unveil what is our real uh, true state of mind or state of soul. We live in this world of fusion, of mixing different streams, and we try to be tolerant, but how in this world of fusion and tolerance do we sift through the layers and actually talk about what matters? Is it even right to go to those places that make us feel a bit uneasy? In this politically correct world, can we even have those conversations that make us a bit uncomfortable? What does Jesus do? John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. 
So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria? Of course, Samaria was between Judea and Galilee, but some Jews would actually walk right around Samaria to avoid it. Why did he have to go through Samaria? There's a little word in Greek. It means it is necessary. And normally, when that word appears, it means that God has ordained something. The Father wants to do something in Samaria through Jesus. Jesus stops in Sychar, a small village near Mount Gerizim. He sits at Jacob's well. It's an ancient well. It's fed by an underground spring. The sun is hot. He's weary. He's tired. He sits. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Why is she so surprised by Jesus' simple request for a drink? Well, she's a Samaritan. Did you notice what John wrote? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Why? To understand the significance of Samaria, we have to go all the way back to the Old Testament. In 920 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel separated from the southern kingdom. That happened in 920. About 200 years later, in 721 BC, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom and took the people living there into exile. The Assyrians then had foreigners come and inhabit the northern kingdom. They intermarried with the Jews that remained behind, and the Samaritans were the descendants of those mixed marriages. The Samaritans, they developed kind of a parallel religion to Judaism. They kept the first five books of the Old Testament, but they had their own version of, the, of those five books. And in the time of Jesus, the Jews considered them to be heretics. They would refer to them as, oh, those unfaithful half-Gentiles. They would even say this. It's even offensive to say it. Those are half-breed dogs over there. They tried to build this wall around themselves, around their children, John writes, have no dealings with them. It can be translated, share no use of things. And so it often refers to things that you use when you eat. So Jews, we will not have anything to do with Samaritans around a table. What they use is unclean. Eating with the Samaritans like eating pork. No good Jew would drink from a Samaritan water jar. So no wonder she's surprised. And she's a woman. Jewish men didn't speak to Jewish women in public, not even their wives, much less a Samaritan woman. Samaritan women were considered to be perpetually, always unclean. So no wonder she's surprised when Jesus just simply asks her for a drink. What's Jesus doing? Well, he's slicing through the cultural and gender barriers. Why? 
If you've read John 1 through 3, then you've noticed that Jesus has talked to Jewish men. He's talked to the disciples, the the religious leaders. He has spoken to Nicodemus. And if you would just read those three chapters, you could come to the conclusion that the gospel has written over it, male Jews only. Note the contrast. Jesus is Jewish. He's male. He's considered upright. The woman, female, Samaritan. An outcast. What does the Father plan to do in Sychar? Jesus certainly isn't following the norms of Jewish culture. He is following the guidance of the Father. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. As we read through those six verses, you probably noticed that forms of the word give appear about seven times. Jesus has something to give her that she desperately needs. What is it? Jesus tells her that if she knew who he was, she would ask him for this living water. And those words, living water, they mean something in Greek that they don't mean in English. In Greek, they mean spring water. Living water is fresh spring water. So they're sitting at Jacob's well, and it's fed by an underground spring, so she naturally misunderstands what Jesus is talking about. She asked Jesus, how do you plan to get water out of this deep well when you don't have a bucket? Are you, you're not greater than Jacob, are you? Obviously not. Jesus is talking about what satisfies a thirsty soul. Water from God himself. In fact, once you have the living water within you, it, it's a spring of water. Your heart is a wellspring, springing up, leaping up to eternal life. He's referring to living water gifted by the Holy Spirit from God himself. John chapter 7, verse 37. It's another day. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. The woman tells Jesus that she wants this water so that she doesn't have to make these long trips to the well anymore. She's interested. But instead of closing the deal and just saying, okay, if you want this water, let's just pray here by the well. What does Jesus say? Go, call your husband, and come here. Why does he say that? Is he just trying to make her squirm by the well? 
two reasons. One, she thinks she's interested, but she doesn't really know what Jesus is offering her. And then secondly, Jesus knows her true need. He doesn't want her just to pray a prayer by the well. He wants her true need to be met. So verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you were right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Did you notice that the Samaritan woman came to the well alone? At that time, women would have come in a group. They would come together to fetch water. They would come to the well early in the day, late in the day, to avoid the heat of the noonday sun. She's there at noon. She's alone. She comes alone. She comes alone at noon because she lives under shame. There are things about her that she just can't change. Jesus is alone. She's alone. Jewish men did not talk to Jewish women in public, much less a Samaritan woman. What would she be thinking about Jesus? What are this man's intentions? What does he really want? Jesus deliberately creates tension in the conversation. He says to her, go call your husband and come here. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, true, it's true that you don't have a husband, but you're actually just trying to cover your well of shame. You have had five, and you're living with the sixth. Now, that's prophetic insight. That's divine insight. But why does Jesus even go there? Isn't that kind of incorrect? Why would he expose her in that way? She was living under shame. You see, broken people that live under shame, they know that something is wrong. They don't need to have people come and tell them, hey, something's wrong with you. They know things aren't working. They know people talk about them. They just don't know how to put it together, how to remove the shame, how to heal their broken well. She knows her well doesn't hold water. And Jesus comes alongside her and just slices through the sensitive, emotional, and moral barriers. Why? He does that because he sees her real need. He may be the first man to actually see her heart. And he knows that her, her well doesn't provide living water, that it can't even hold water. The water just runs through her. She's cracked, broken. Centuries, centuries earlier, Jeremiah prophesied these words. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. People abandon God. They abandon their relationship with God. They abandon the one who is good and loving and faithful for the stagnant waters of their broken wells, their broken cisterns, which which cannot give life, cannot sustain life. The water just keeps pouring out. So what are our broken wells? Sometimes we look for fresh spring water in a person, in a hug, in a relationship. And when we can't find it in real life, then we go to the internet. 
Sometimes we're looking for real life, for fresh spring water in a video game. That's our place or our time of most fun, of most excitement. Sometimes we're looking for fresh spring water in a career, a title, just some honor, some recognition. Sometimes we look for fresh spring water in just being religious. We practice these rituals and we hope that in some way they will prop us up and give us what we need. Sometimes we're looking for fresh spring water in the refrigerator. Just some comfort, some satisfaction. Where did we go for living water this week? Where did you go for water? We are always looking for water every day. And Jesus knows exactly where we went for living water this week. A wealthy young man started to attend our church in Brazil. And he was this picture of success. He would drive up to the church in his new Mercedes. He was married, had three children. He was well-educated. He was the CEO of his own company. It seemed like he had everything that life could offer. When I got to know him, his company, for the first time, was going through some financial stress, and so he came for prayer. At least he wanted some water. We started studying the scriptures together, and after a number of months, he gave his life to Jesus. He received Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and it appeared initially that he had truly found new life. And I believe he had, but he just didn't know what it would mean for him. And so about six months after his conversion, all of a sudden, he's in a moment of despair. He's even having suicidal thoughts. He's irrational. But he wasn't, doesn't want to talk about his shame. He doesn't want to talk about the pain that really exists in his soul. And so we keep walking together, keep studying the scriptures. I keep prodding and asking and praying. And one day he finally says, I believe God is going to take the lives of my children because of the things that I did when I was a teenager. There are things that I just can't change. I am unacceptable. That's just the way it is. Well, Jesus was aware of his broken well. Jesus is aware of our broken wells. And so Jesus would say to us this morning, well, go call your husband and come here. Go call your unforgivable sin and and come here. Go call your career. Come here. Go call that person that you have a relationship with and come here. Go call the website that you visit in the wee hours of the morning and and come here. Go call your drug addiction and, and come here. Jesus knows where we have gone for water. He knows about our broken wells. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that even though he knows that we're going to the wrong wells, that we're going to broken wells, broken cisterns, that will never satisfy our souls, he invites us to come. Now, with the Samaritan woman, Jesus has put his finger on something really painful. And she responds with an interesting tactic that many of us use. Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. 
The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus has divine insight into her life, and she thinks, okay, maybe he's a prophet. But instead of facing her broken well, she tries to divert him with some religious conversation. Why does she talk about location of worship? Why does she talk about Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem? What's behind that? Well, remember, the Samaritans, you know, they continued to base their religion on the first five books of the Bible, their own version of those books, but they did understand that God had called them to separate a place for worship. Jesus and the Samaritan woman are sitting by Jacob's well, and from the well they see Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans believed that Mount Gerizim was the place to worship God. Why? Because when Abraham entered the promised land, it was there that he first built an altar. It was from Mount Gerizim that the covenant blessings were pronounced, proclaimed over the people of Israel. So they had built a temple on Mount Gerizim. Of course, the Jews saw that as a rival temple, and so in 129 BC, they went to to Mount Gerizim and destroyed the temple. The religious debate continued. Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim? It was still raging at the time of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. But the question is, did that debate have anything to do with her true need? Do we sometimes invest too much time in conversation that really has nothing to do with our true heart issues? Interesting conversations, but they're actually distractions. For example, in the church, we can have conversations about, should we sing contemporary worship songs or traditional hymns? Should we be more contained in worship or should we raise our hands? Should we baptize people by immersion, or should we just pour water on them, or should we sprinkle water on them? Should we think about Jesus coming before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation? Should we be more reformed, more charismatic, more Anabaptist, or something else? And most of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But anyways, we can have these conversations, and and they do have their place. But are we having the conversations that really matter? Are we allowing the Lord to actually speak into our lives to heal our broken wells and fill those wells with living water? Jesus slices through religious and defense mechanism barriers. And he answers her question first by revealing the question's irrelevance. The question is meaningless. It's obsolete. The hour is coming and is now here when the particular altar that you worship at will have no significance. Second, the Father is seeking people that worship Him in spirit and in truth, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from. So what does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth? Jesus, what are you talking about? 
Well, he's talking about a worship that the Father seeks that comes from a wellspring of living water that comes from within. So the Samaritan woman is there before him. She's been married five times, now living with the sixth. How can she, a broken well, become a wellspring springing up, jumping up to eternal life? How could it ever happen that her well would be healed? How could she ever think of starting a day believing that the cover of shame had been removed? How could rivers of living water ever flow from her soul? Jesus says the hour is now here. He's standing there right in front of her. He says the hour is coming, and when John uses that language, it means that Jesus' death and resurrection and exaltation, and so Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, he's going to open the way so that people might be filled with the Holy Spirit, born of the Spirit. Jesus pouring the life of of the Spirit of God into the hearts of human beings, people becoming living wells, living temples, whose cracks are healed, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so according to the revelation in Jesus, according to a personal relationship with Jesus, a personal knowledge of who he is, when Jesus has conversation with the Samaritan woman, he knows that her religious practice will never heal her soul. And so he doesn't say things like, wow, your Samaritan rituals are so fascinating. Oh, the history of your religion. Mount Gerizim, what a beautiful mountain. He doesn't talk about those things because those things will never address her core needs, her deep, deep soul needs. She needs Jesus. And so Jesus, he slices through the barriers of our broken wells so that our wells might be healed. Jesus isn't so interested in our religious conversation. He wants to see human hearts healed. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or, why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So she abandons her water jar there at the well, runs into town. Who cares about her shame if she, is, if she has found living water? Jesus' insight into her life, it's had a profound impact on her. And so that now becomes the core of her testimony. She invites other thirsty people to come and see. The Samaritans come to see Jesus. She goes from being this sponge to being a wellspring. The first sign of her healing, she's starting to talk about who Jesus is. There's water coming from her. So Jesus slices through the barriers of our souls so that our wells might become springs of water, welling up to life. So that our souls might become wells, springs of water, welling up with life. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, 
It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So the Samaritans in Sychar, they hear the testimony of the woman and it rings authentic to them because they knew her. She was broken and she's saying something different. When we come to faith in Jesus and we taste of this fresh spring water, or if we've been walking with Jesus for a while and we taste of this fresh spring water in a new way, we then have something new on our lips. And people notice. Or you were begging all the time and you were always complaining. You were always talking about yourself and all of a sudden now you have a new song. And so friends and neighbors and family, they see the change and they come. The Samaritans, they hear the testimony of the Samaritan woman, but then they have their own experience with Jesus. Jesus speaks words of life to them and they proclaim, this is the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of all peoples. The disciples, meanwhile, are stunned. They're observing all of this. And they're just saying like, what? Jesus sat with the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus says to them in verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus, you're saying that the Father's will was that today you sit at the well and talk to a Samaritan, unclean, half-breed dog? Verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. A ripe harvest among the Samaritans? So in Luke chapter 10, the disciples obviously really struggle with this. In Luke chapter 10, a Jewish lawyer comes to Jesus and asks, what must a person do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. A good what? In Luke chapter 17, Jesus and his disciples, they are on the border between Samaria and Galilee, and ten lepers come to Jesus, and Jesus heals them. And the lepers go away. But one comes back. A Samaritan. Who? And then Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? The disciples are there with the Samaritans, and the Samaritans are enamored with Jesus. They're coming to Jesus. They're believing his words, and the disciples just can't see it. Who are the Samaritans in our lives? Who are the Samaritans in my life, in your life? Who are the people that we just can't see? Sometimes they're people from another ethnic group. Sometimes they're people from another religion. Sometimes they're people from another Christian sect. Sometimes they're people of another gender. People of another sexual orientation. Who are the Samaritans in our lives that we just cannot see? What are the barriers that Jesus is asking us to cross? You see, Jesus, he slices through the barriers of our souls, our broken wells, so that we might might see our Samaritans as he sees them. 
And not only see them as he sees them, but share with them what we have received from Jesus. Sometimes we hesitate to talk about Jesus in our society because it just seems to be politically incorrect. People get uncomfortable, uneasy. That's not true all over the world, but in Canada, often people become really uneasy if you start talking about religion. And so what should we do? Do we just submit to that? Or do we do what Jesus calls us to do? Do we follow him? Isn't it interesting how Jesus slices through all of these barriers, religious, defense mechanisms, social, moral, gender, slices through all of these barriers so that the woman who has a true need might discover where she might find living water. Sometimes I think like this, well, if I just understood the scriptures a bit better, if I knew a bit more theology, if I understood a bit more about other religious paths, well, then I would have more courage. I would say more. How much did the woman have? She had one line in a question. That was all she had. She just went back to town and told people about what she had experienced. The Lord isn't asking you to know everything about everything, to have answers to every question. He only asks that you share with others what you have received. And all of us here have received more than a line in a question. Who are the Samaritans in our lives? What are the barriers that the Lord is asking us to cross? Jesus has called us to be disciples. If you're serious about being a disciple, I really encourage you to sign up for base camp. Next weekend, Friday, Saturday, separate that time to learn more about following Jesus, to learn more about passing on what you have received from the Lord. It'll be a wonderful time together. But even if you can't make it next weekend, you can sign up for that in the lobby, but even if you can't make it next weekend, study the scriptures, observe how Jesus operates, how he interacts with people, observe how he disciples people, how people follow him, and follow his path. It's fascinating to see where Jesus goes. He surprises us. And Jesus will ask us to go where we don't expect to go. But we can do that because he has poured his spirit into our hearts. And if the Holy Spirit abides in us, then we are to be a wellspring. Then rivers of living water are to flow through us. And that happens as we walk out in faith. Amen? Let's stand up for prayer. I'm going to pray two prayers, and and maybe you're here and you identify with the Samaritan woman and you say, okay, I I am a broken well. Uh, My well actually can't hold water, and uh, I don't know. I've never experienced that living water that Jesus talks about. So if that's you and you want to open your heart to Jesus and receive his invitation to come to him, then I'd ask you to pray with me. To pray this prayer from your heart in faith that Jesus will do something in your life way beyond anything that you could imagine as you surrender to him. 
Follow the prayer. It'll be posted on the, on the screen behind me. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to know you. Please forgive me for leading my own life separate from you. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for all my sin. I repent and surrender my whole life to you. I turn to you for forgiveness, for new life, for living water. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free. Make me into the kind of person you created me to be. I want to be like you. Father, thank you for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that for the first time today, I'd encourage you to go to the I Said Yes banner. I Said Yes banner out there in the lobby. And we'd love to encourage you in your journey. Now I'd like to pray a prayer for all of us who are disciples of Jesus. Father, we thank you again for calling us to yourself. Thank you for the gift of salvation through Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending your spirit to indwell us. What a gift. Lord, help us to understand what it means to have your Spirit abiding in us. Holy Spirit, may you counsel us and guide us into all truth. Empower us for life. Father, forgive us for days when we go to other wells for water. Thank you that you draw us back. Even when we're unfaithful, Lord, you are faithful. And so, Lord, this day, this week, may we immerse ourselves in your word. May we pray. May we commune with you. May we go to you for fresh spring water and only you. May our hearts truly be wellsprings. May there be rivers of living water flowing through us. Oh, God, use us so that others around us who desperately need your living water, use us, Lord, as we share with them what we have received. Use us for your glory. God, may we not shrink back. May we not shrink back in fear. May we follow you, Jesus. Not the norms of our culture. May we follow you and do the things that you have called us to do and believe that you will work miracles in our day for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Sign up for Basecamp. <laughs>